Welcome to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself, feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, master certified life coach, teacher, and recovering supermom, Tori Henderson. are listening to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson. And today I am here with a special guest. I'm here with Kara Wackett. She's a licensed mental health therapist, facilitator, and creator. She lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband and her daughter. And she is the owner of Adversity Rising, a company that works to equip and empower people with the skills and tools to live life on purpose. She also sees patients in a private therapy practice where she treats people with eating disorders, anxiety disorders, and trauma. So I brought uh, Kira on today to talk about a topic that I am not an expert in, but I get a lot of mamas who have concerns about body image, disordered eating, and uh, some how to prevent problems around body image, how to love your body, how to teach your kids to love and appreciate their bodies and some of the signs to look for where, like, how do you know if it's just like normal tween pickiness versus like, what, what are signs that I should be concerned or should get more involved? Like, how do I know if it's like, we're heading down a problematic road and things like that? and kind of what to do to as a mom to support a kid who might have some body image and disordered eating issues. So welcome to the podcast, Kira. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. Always feels like a, an interesting term to use when we're talking about such a difficult topic. <laughs> and I am excited to be here to have this conversation and hopefully share some more resources with some of your listeners. Awesome. So I'd love to hear from you kind of like, what are some like maybe when kids are younger, what are some things that moms can do to prevent problems later on with disordered eating or body image? Like, and then we'll get into more problematic things as they get older, but what are some uh, things we can say or encourage or be mindful of when we've got uh, younger kids? There's two things that come to mind at first. So the first thing really is there isn't an ability to prevent anyone from experiencing body image distress because similar to there was maybe about 10 years ago is when the rise of getting everybody to have positive self-esteem all the time. And this was in all the curriculum around, especially for teens and young adults, this isn't a maintainable or sustainable solution. So all of us, whether we are two years old or 90 years old have body image distress. It's because our relationship with our body ebbs and flows. So I think one thing that I see so much of with caregivers and in particular, I think women in our culture is this pressure because of what we've experienced in our own bodies, because of wanting to change the experience for our kids. We just want to stop them from experiencing that. So I think the first step is to say, not how do I stop them from having bad body image days, but saying, what can I do to support them to know that these are normal and that they can talk about it. And I think that is kind of that, the internal switch we can make. And tied to that comes with this idea of, I think parents, and again, in particular moms are often tasked with this ridiculous notion that we have to do it all and be it all. So all the pressure falls on us. So we feel like all the control then is on us. So if something goes wrong, we failed. So I right. think the other thing to consider is really, again, this is a systemic issue that doesn't mean we should say, well, it's everybody else's problem. What it means is understand it in the context of your living experience. And so you have body image distress. Everyone listening here, I can guarantee you has felt it, whether it's today, in this moment, last week, we have had relationships with our body that haven't been great. Many of us, it's extreme self-loathing and that feeling is obviously going to show up in the space. And so also knowing with our kids, when they have these experiences, it's, it's normal and it's not a failure on you. It's what it means to live in the culture that we live in. So I know it's kind of a long roundabout way to get to your question, but I think the answer ultimately is to be comfortable talking about bodies, talking about food, talking about and kind of exploring our own 
experiences with our bodies with our young people. So I have an almost two-year-old and I'm about 10, 11 years into my recovery and my eating disorder. But when I was pregnant, I had a lot of thoughts of, oh my gosh, is this going to come back? Your body's changing. You know, you hear this for people, even without eating disorders of you can be comfortable with the changing body until you have the kid. And then for anybody that has carried a baby and then birthed their child kind of afterwards, there can be this immediate hate of your body. Well, I knew this, I'm also a therapist in eating disorders. It doesn't mean it stopped it from happening. So after she was born, just like readjusting to my new body and what my body feels like and looks like. I had these conversations with my therapist around, how do I deal with this? I want to make sure that I'm not, you know, she's six weeks old. I'm like, I don't want to drill this in her now. And she's like, well, what if you just talk to her about it? You know, she doesn't understand. What about some days you just say, I'm just having a hard day today. I'm just feeling a little icky in her body and that's okay. And some days I don't feel that way. And so I think for little littles, it's having that conversation and kind of degrees of disclosure. Maybe we're not telling them everything, but saying, yeah, some days I don't feel very good in my body. Do you ever have that? Do you ever have days that just don't feel good in your body? Or do you have thoughts about how maybe some people's bodies look different? What is that like for you? And just kind of opening those conversations and talking about how we've experienced it. And my anchor for when I think about my kid, and again, she's two, so this is going to keep evolving. But mostly when I talk to parents in the therapy room, it's thinking about how do we try to have body positive, food neutral approaches. And in reality, it's ultimately body neutral and food neutral approaches. What we're really just trying to do is how do we talk about the body as a body, whether we feel negative towards it or positive towards it, it gets space and ownership. And how do we talk about food and try to see it as something that is neutral rather than something that we shame ourselves for or celebrate ourselves for based on what we eat or don't eat. So it's kind of like normalizing the conversation or the relationship one has with their body, right? Of like some days, you know, it's like, if you think it was like a romantic relationship, some days I'm mad at my body. Some days I love my body. Some days I'm, I ignore my body. And so Mm -hmm. that that's just like a romantic relationship. It's normal to have all of those different kinds of feelings towards your Mm -hmm. partner. Same thing with the body where it's like, I can be mad at my body one day, the next day I appreciate it. The next day I ignore it. The next day I whatever. And that it can be kind of constantly changing throughout the years. Yeah. I think too, because, you know, so when I would see patients coming into kind of higher levels of care for treatment for eating disorders, disordered eating, and let's say they're, you know, 15 on up when you're trying to introduce these sort of body neutral statements of like, let's talk about what your body does for you, not just what your body looks like. Well, the messages have been indoctrinated in them from the world at large for the first 15 years or 30 years or 50 years, however old this person is, that what their body looks like is more important than what their body does. So I also think if we can have these neutral conversations around what are all the things that our body does for us and and also talking about what our bodies look like and normalizing that experience. And so there's great books people can get on this that you can talk about, you know, bodies in different sizes and how there is no right body shape. You can have those types of conversations. But I do think one of the biggest things, I see this for me as a therapist in topics that feel stressful. I see this for me as a mom, as a partner. When we have our own stuff with this, it makes it really hard to talk about it with other people because we're just wanting to get it right and do right by them, but we aren't able to kind of bring the space to heal our own self. So I think Mm -hmm. a big thing is how do we shift our own relationship with our body so we can help even through the non-direct communication reinforce to our kids. Yeah. It's okay. If there's a day you don't like your body, that doesn't mean that you have to change your body to fit in. That doesn't mean that if your body is this size, that your body is less valuable. It makes sense. You feel that way given the messages that we receive. And it doesn't mean that we need to talk about you losing weight or that you shouldn't be eating things or that you can't have a candy bar. It means that this is a culture and a system that's been built on some bodies are better than other bodies. And I want you to know that your body is valuable at any size, at any shape. And I think this crosses over to when we talk about gender, race, all of these other components of identity. So it really is kind of how we approach all these conversations and just allowing kids to kind of build their own relationship. And I think one other thing that popped up as you were saying this is 
intuitiveness is something that is innately connected to us and we condition ourselves out of it over time. So kids actually know when they're hungry, when they're, I mean, think about really little babies. They know when they're hungry and full for the most part, Mm -hmm. they know when they're cold, they know when they're tired, they're communicating their needs with us because they actually are really hyper-connected to their bodies and they know how to communicate it. We condition that out over time. So all of us as adults, it's like, well, am I hungry? I don't know, but I'm not going to eat yet. Or I'm going to fill my plate, you know, or my schedule with so many different things. No, I didn't have a a chance for lunch, but we're missing our body's cues of, are we hungry? Are we full? Are we tired? Do we feel sluggish? Do we need to rethink how we're fueling our body with sleep, with food? And so the other thing I think is empowering them to say, well, how does it feel when you eat that food? How does it feel when you wear those clothes? Do you feel comfortable in these clothes? What's it like to move your body like that? Because it's also allowing them to stay connected to how they feel rather than just the images that are projected around them. So I love that. Yeah, I think I agree. <laughs> I think that kids know what foods feel good to them and they, they, they come out knowing, you know, what, when they're hungry and I'll listen to the cues, I think it messes with the minds of mamas yeah. <laughs> when our kids, you know, they kind of, when they're little, they go through that phase where they're just like eating all the time. And then as soon as they start walking, they lose interest in eating. And we kind of have this, you know, we're probably programmed to like three meals a day, but like mm-hmm. some kids don't like to eat. Through. And so I remember being so stressed about this because I think there's so much kind of primal of like, I'm a mom, I have to feed my children and I has to be healthy and they have to eat all these food groups. And there's so much, there's, there was a lot of stress on me when my kids wouldn't eat. And I had, Mm -hmm. I had some very picky, two very picky eaters in very different ways. Mm -hmm. But when I could relax around it and just learn how to like watch their natural trend. I noticed that my daughter would eat like a huge amount of food every three days. Hmm. Like she wouldn't eat anything for two days, just like nitpick. And then on day three, she would just like eat everything I put in front of her. Mm -hmm. So once I realized there was a pattern, then it helped me relax. You know, like I'm not Mm -hmm. failing. There's not something wrong, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and with my son, it was always textures. Like he would he would eat anything and blended <laughs> anything oh, so yeah. smoothie or, but he was very sensitive to different textures. And so, you know, we had to like slowly bring him into, uh, you know, get used to a new textures. It was a lot of patience required, but that's the kind of stuff you don't have that big picture perspective when you're yeah. in it. And you're like, so we tend, I think what I'm hearing you say is that just by us kind of thinking like, you need to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, or that we kind of can override their natural instincts. Mm-hmm. And so like, like my son could never eat at, they have like, um, you know, soccer banquets, volleyball parties, uh, tournaments, like anytime there was like a big buffet and a lot of people, he would get overstimulated or something mm-hmm. and he couldn't eat. Like he was in like fight or flight. He was anxious and he couldn't get into rest and digest. Mm-hmm. And so it would drive me crazy. It's like, we're here to eat. It's a party with food. Can you please eat? And he wouldn't eat a thing. And then he'd get home. You're like, I'm hungry. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. I got almost got him. I wanted to not have to cook for a night, you know, but right. those, so it's just like tuning in to their natural intuitive sense of what foods and when is right for them, we have to suspend our cultural programming to say three meals a day separated by these many hours, you know, uh, this is what it's supposed to look like to feed your kids in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just think it's like the old, even like the old TV shows where you're like, um, they would punish a kid by saying no dinner. Mm-hmm. Right, no dinner for you if you don't do whatever, and so that was like a punishment. And now I feel like it's totally turned the tables. Like, you know, yeah. if you don't eat this, I'm going to punish you. Yeah. So I don't know how that yeah. switched and why, but there definitely seems to be, you know, a lot of um, invisible cultural messages and programming for moms <laughs> to put emphasis an importance on children's eating rather than just trusting them that when they're hungry, they'll eat. 
Well, because I think the message is that we, I mean, whether you have a child or not, you've been inundated with messages that you have to prove your worth and value in the world. You're inherently not good enough. You're not worthy. You have to, for women in particular, the sort of system is that you are there to take care of and serve everybody else. You are there to take care of everybody else's needs. You have to have it all together at all points in time. And the expectation is that you're going to do it all and you're going to do it perfectly. And so that is that comes into momhood or parenthood or you know a caregiving role. And so the belief is we've got to know all the answers and to do it all perfect. But the reality is you are learning about your child and your child is learning about you every single day. And there isn't any, we can't control for how to parent in a way that says, this is what every single kid needs in terms of food at this time of day, at this volume. If you give your kid Gogurt, that means that he's going to develop a sugar addiction. And that means this thing's going to happen. Or if you don't give your kid this food until they're this time, then that's what this is going to be. We know generally what it looks like to see nutrition on a whole. We know trends, what can happen when we see, you know, maybe kids hitting, there's something called failure to thrive. That is for like Mm -hmm. more, we talk about for toddlers and kind of early childhood, you'll see this a lot. What I often think about when it comes to the medical side, especially when your kids are really young, they go to the doctor all the time. Like I know it's starting to space out now after she hits two, but I'm like, geez, we are here all the time. But that part of the reason is to watch during these critical periods of development that they are gaining weight, they are developing, they're doing these certain things and that's their job. And so I think the other thing is to not assume that we have to be responsible to decide if this is a medical concern, if they're not eating enough, if they're nutritionally deficient. If you have a question and you're unsure, then ask your provider, but offload that responsibility to them because that's why they went to medical school. That's why they know what they're doing. Or even if it's a dietitian or a nutritionist, talking to somebody that that's their job to tell you if there's a concern, but not putting the pressure on yourself, presuming that it is a concern just because something doesn't look a certain way. And I think all of that boils down to this feeling of, again, shame, this idea that we are responsible to get it all right. And so if something doesn't happen, if your kid doesn't eat during this time, or if they eat too much or too little, you're worried about that. And so I think, and going back to your example of the banquet, the question that I would ask a parent in a session would be, okay, that sounds really hard for, for everybody involved. Tell me why, why was it that they needed to eat at the party? What, what about eating at the party was helpful? you know, or why did that need to happen to be okay? And, you know, you kind of mentioned one part, like, I I didn't want to cook. Right. (laughs) And I don't know if this came up for you, but I know this comes up for a lot of people. If it's in social settings of the fear of judgment from other parents, other caregivers, if their kid's not eating, their kid's like the weird one that won't touch the food or has the food things. And there's such scrutiny that I think we fear is going to happen that we automatically project it onto everybody else that they're thinking that about us too. And so part of it is like, What would be the worst thing that would happen if you said, you know what, let's eat a sandwich before we go. When you come back, if you need something like there's, you know, veggies and hummus in the fridge or there's a sandwich. You could just adapt to where the kids play. I think for me, it was, I spent a lot of time thinking like, if you could just act normal, then Mm. I wouldn't have to worry about it. Yes. Yep. And so I focused on the behavior Instead of focusing on, well, maybe this is a symptom of a larger problem. He's got some sensory motor integration issues or some anxieties. And, you know, like if I had taken a step back, instead of focused on having him eat the way I thought a normal kid should eat and realize like, okay, he's got, this is just a symptom that his body is in a constant state of fight or flight. Let's focus on that. So it would have been hindsight would have been helpful to take a look at that. But how awesome that you're sharing this, because I think that's the experience that so many of us get into is this focusing on like and the bravery and saying that part out loud. Like if you could just be normal or do this thing normally. And I think all of us feel that way. I feel that way when Everly does something silly at the park. That's like totally normally abnormal because toddlers I'm learning are very weird and how they interact and like COVID toddlers even worse. But I'll have this pressure in my mind of, oh gosh, it's my kid that's doing the weird thing today. And it's like, but what difference does it make? Like, they're all going to do something that's weird. They're all. And so I think when it comes to the food, it's realizing, you know, they, they all have periods of time where they're experiencing food in a different way, whether it's the texture pieces. And like you said, maybe there's 
some degree of acuity that we always have to kind of think about assessing for. But I think normalizing that everyone's going to have that. Everyone's going to have some stuff around textures. You're, you know, when I would be buying vegetables all the time, I mean, I still am for her. And then I'll say something at the grocery store because somebody will always comment, of course, on what you're buying at the grocery store, which is another contributor to the stress around food. I was like, oh yeah, you know, I mentioned something about my daughter loving vegetables. I'm like, oh, you're so lucky. You know, not everybody has that. I said, she likes what she likes right now. And that may or may not change. I'm not going to say that's good or bad. Whatever she's eating, she's eating. (laughs) Well, that's a great segue into what I wanted to ask you next is food neutral. Like, what does that mean to be food neutral? Well, so I think this is different for every family. So really considering you know, there's different schools of thought when we think about health and wellness and particularly around feeding our bodies. And so for some people, the idea of eating, I used Gogurt as an example, because I had a client that had a lot of shame around feeding her kid a Gogurt one day because she was born or she had her son and she's like, he's always going to eat all natural. I'm going to make everything this way. In Portland about a year ago, we had devastating ice storms and people's fridges were out and everyone's trying to do the best that they could. And she's like, I bought a thing of Gogurt at the store just to get him something in the car. And I felt terrible. So well, what wow. is, what's a neutral approach to saying, I knew that my kid needed food. They needed calories. They needed energy. They needed whatever this is. This was me doing the best I could in the situation that I was in. So food neutrality, I think, is around not over-inflating one specific thing or under-inflating it. So when it comes to the types of food we eat, if we're always talking about health and like, these are really healthy foods and we kind of shame these other foods, we're creating this sort of binary between foods so that if they do eat these foods at some point, if they want to have these foods, it either feels like they have to do it in secret or that there's something wrong when they're doing it. And so what we've seen is a lot of us have been conditioned to feel bad if we eat a cupcake or something like that. Well, if we're talking about it in a way that suggests, you know, there's, there's something bad about eating these cupcakes all the time. We shouldn't have a cupcake. Oh, I should, I shouldn't have another one. Kids start to internalize those messages and write rules that eating cupcakes is bad Mm -hmm. and eating apples is good. Instead, can we approach it as saying, you know, Sesame Street actually does a really great job with this for little kids. They talk about sometimes foods and all the time foods. So foods that we can have sometimes that maybe give us different energy than foods that we have all the time because the energy they give us is different and our body needs that all the time and maybe other things we don't need. And then I think the other approach is realizing again, we're all doing the best we can at certain points. So I remember the first time I was like, I can't cook a meal and we ordered food and I gave her takeout food. I'm like, I'm a terrible parent. There's probably so much sodium in this. I'm not supposed to do this. I don't even know what I'm all giving her. And I'm like, is she eating? Is she getting fuel? Is she okay? And like, then you, you know, that was maybe six months ago. She's fine. You know, or the first time someone has a cookie or the first time someone eats something else. So food neutrality is really around how do we not create binaries around food that become those internalized messages and, and symptoms that lead to shame for people in the future that then feel bad about this or kind of hyper-focus on health. Okay. <laughs> How do you deal with, I, I feel like information is then almost our enemy. Like ignorance would be bliss, right? Yeah. So yeah. how do you deal with it when you know mm-hmm. for sure your kid is not getting the nutrients, the, the vitamins and minerals one needs to thrive? Mm-hmm. Right. Because I, I really, I feel like that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about surviving. No, we have so much information. We live in, you know, a very privileged country with access to lots of foods. Although lately those shelves are emptying more and yeah. more. Every time I go to the store, I'm like, no bananas. I was like, not one single banana, right. but supply chain issues, whatever. So we have an abundance of food and an abundance of information and knowledge. Mm-hmm. So. I know for certain that both my children are not getting their nutritional needs met on a regular basis. Mm. What is a healthy attitude for a mother to have? Because I'm pretty sure I don't have it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and is, is it for you more so like they're, they're choosing the chips over the veggies or something like that? So my daughter is vegan, but she's more of like a potato chip pop tart vegan. 
than a like I like vegetables. She oh, and most of it is um, she doesn't get enough protein. She okay. doesn't like tofu or nuts or any of the vegan proteins. And then my other son is just has a very limited diet that consists mostly of um, refined white sugar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, again, I think there's kind of like two, and they're like adult age practically, right. so I don't have much control. And I, I mean, I think that's step number one is what you just said right there is you don't ultimately have that much control over it. And that's the hard part. I mean, I think even when kids are younger and you realize we ultimately were very formative and important, and we're also not that important in the grand scheme of things too, in some ways of like the messages they're having, how they're, you know, eating, you might constantly put the vegetables, the good, you know, proteins, whatever out there. And, you know, your daughter still might be like, yeah, I'm not eating that because it's got tofu in it or something. I think that in your case, what I would suggest is offload the responsibility of trying to solve the problem to somebody else. So if that is like there are specific people, and obviously this gets into accessibility from like a dietitian standpoint, what is, you know, do people have insurance, all of that, but there are people specifically trained in how to build kind of plans around that and having your young people be a part of the conversation. So saying, okay, I know you love Pop-Tarts. That's great. Pop-Tarts are not going to give your body everything it needs to function. So how can we make sure that we're getting some of these things in and having the Pop-Tarts be a part of what you eat? And I think a lot of the times, because you've been navigating this for you know probably years, it sounds like since they were young, you've had different food things you've gone through with them. You're going to hold on to the emotions connected to it. You're going to feel the pressure connected to it. So it's sometimes going to be harder to go in with a kind of problem-solving mentality because it already feels a little like, you versus me of you trying to get them to do something and they're doing something yeah. else. And when you, they're te- well, teen and young adults. Yeah. So it's right. You're, you're already in this power struggle. That's right. just natural. Like, well, if my mom wants me to eat healthy, then I'm going to eat, you know, Oreos or whatever. Yeah. And, um, where it's like, like they associate mom with nutrition, Yeah, <laughs> the age where they're trying to rebel against mom. Yep. And so, uh, so I definitely feel like that. Like I always think of like my business is the foods I buy, the foods I cook, foods I pr- serve, but her business is what she chooses to eat and how much of it she eats. Mm-hmm. And so I try to stay in my lane and just buy the things I feel like I don't buy pop darts. <laughs> like I just buy the things I'm aligned with that are aligned with, and I cook the things that, mm-hmm. which very often she, you know, won't do it just, but I, I think I definitely feel the like power struggle mm-hmm. thing going. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's hard because I know, you know, she's not getting, she won't take supplements. So I know she's kind of getting inadequate nutrition. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's like, oh, what, how do I hold that mentally in a way that makes me still feel like a good mom? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think part of it is saying that, and this is where sometimes it's just a bit of radical acceptance of knowing that good moms struggle to get their kids everything they need to live the lives we want them to live, whether that is eating Pop-Tarts or eating, you know, getting enough protein, or if it's trying to help them make these other decisions by getting their homework done or the friends they hang out with or how much time they spend on social media. I mean, I think that there is those two things aren't connected. You're not only a good mom if she eats those things and also kind of not taking the responsibility because you're saying, I get it. I can't control these things. It still sounds like you're holding a sense of responsibility for that. And so I think the other piece is realizing, you know, yes, you're their mom. So inherently legally, you know, I think like primally, it feels very primal, you know, but I think I, like, I, I tend to go back to my, junior high years, wasn't middle school, mm. it was just seventh, eighth grade. My dad, it was such a good parenting move. My dad said, I'm going to give you $5 a week. You can make your lunch every day and pocket the five bucks, or you can buy your lunch every day and you have to fork in some of your own money mm-hmm. or whatever. Like it was so, I loved his like approach. It was like very hands-off of like, you know, kind of encouraging us to make our own choices. Well, I managed to be both lazy and cheap and Mm. just lived off $5 every day for two years by eating a donut or a cinnamon roll and a chocolate Mm -hmm. milk every day for two years. Like that, 
as terrible <laughs> nutritionally, but it did not compromise my health. Like I'm still functioning adult yeah. today. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> eat lots of vegetables now, you know? So I yeah. do try to remember that of like, yeah, that it's just a phase and, you know, th- things can change. I mean, the reason my daughter turned vegan is because of, you know, watching documentaries. She could watch a documentary on healthy eating. Yeah. You know, and I could, or I could have it on in the background. Maybe she'll tune into it or whatever. But so it's just kind of like, oh yeah, there is a, but it's letting go and letting it be their decision. And not focusing on the food because then the food becomes the enemy and just focusing again on releasing that to saying, you've been experiencing this since she was born. The ebb and flow of like some new, you know, independence factors. You just say, oh, this is part of what it means to be her mom. So it's like, I'm a good mom, even if they have food issues, I'm a good mom, even if they have body image issues and just Mm -hmm. separating those things out. I'm not failing if they're not getting all their nutritional needs met because that's normal over the long course of a person's life. Most people probably aren't getting every nutrient known to mankind in their Well, and if we could, if we could assess for, you know, parenting goodness, a degree of like how good of a parent you are. And if you're not this good of a parent, then these things are going to happen. We would have built systems to do that right now. The reality is how good or not good you feel like you're doing as a parent has no indication of some of these things. Some of these things just happen. You could be doing everything quote, right. You know, by your kid, you could be saying all the things that you're told to say, you could be doing all the things that you're told to do. You could be completely food neutral. I mean, I've, we're on the pacifier thing right now. And every approach I take I'm definitely hitting walls and that's okay. And so then sometimes you go, well, out of my hands. When is it a point where I just have to take it away? And when is the point I just have to be like, I'm creating a power struggle because I'm so focused on wanting to get it right. I'm not just like letting go and letting it be what it is. And so Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know. I think for all of us, we could benefit by just realizing This is the dance. This is the journey of parenting. It's just that like, do I step in? Do I back off? Like that seems like it's kind of the question that like, when do, and and the way, you know, if it's time to back off is if it's not working. (laughs) Well, and you're, and I don't know if this is the question you're about to get. I think the one distinction is when you can start to see it's problematic, then is the time where you go, okay, I'm going to have to be okay with probably overstepping beyond a point that feels good for me or for them. And that's the hard line is because every one of us wonders if we don't say something now, is it going to be a problem? Is my daughter going to have not only nutritional things, but, you know, is my son or is my daughter, my child going to have blank? Like, are they going to develop an eating disorder? Are they going to develop orthorexia? Are they going to develop all these things that we're hearing and these things we're scared of? And the reality is there are times when you can watch for that, but not everybody that struggles with food or is a picky eater is going to have that happen. So it really is about watching for trends and trying to open the dialogue rather than forcing behavior change to try to guarantee it doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. And I think sometimes stepping back is bringing in somebody else, an outside expert and saying like, okay, I'm just going to be mom. I'm going to let somebody else mind the nutrition if there's a problem. So yeah, we kind of talked about little kids. We talked about older teens. Let's talk about tweens. Mm -hmm. These years during puberty when the body is changing and they're starting to kind of want more independence and they want to be more like their friends. And like, I, I know, I know from the experience of both of my kids that it wasn't cool to bring healthy food to lunch at school. And so they started wanting, you know, more of the snacky foods and, and the, that kind of stuff just to like fit in socially, you know? Mm -hmm. So what are some things around that kind of tween years during puberty and stuff that you could, um, ways to like support your child in like this body positivity mm-hmm. and also like signs to look out for that might be signs of trouble. I think, you know, we've seen it, the uptick as the social media has really I don't know, taking a foothold in our culture that we know that there's an incredible advantage to it and an incredible disadvantage to it. And so the input and the intensity of that input that we all get engaging on any tech, but particularly social media has led to very significant body image distress. And I think really? one of the, 
Mm-hmm. And in particular, what we know is we don't have enough data on TikTok yet because it's still newer. So we haven't been able to watch for trends in the same way. But we know that Instagram, the only app that has had a consistently net positive impact on mental health, well-being, and like general sense of self is YouTube. But any other thing like Instagram, Facebook, I'm assuming we're going to see the same thing about TikTok. There is a net negative experience for anyone who engages in it. We just see a higher volume of younger people using it. And so I think being mindful that this is something that social media is not going away. So again, this is where we get back at just trying to stop something rather than working with it. So let's work with the pop tarts, you know, let's work with the social media. So I think one big thing is that recognizing that a lot of inputs about what's cool and what we should be doing and how this is what this person does these things and look at how amazing their life is. And I want to aspire to these things, trying to have conversations about social media that aren't accusatory, but are really just open. You know, how do you feel when you go on these accounts? What accounts do you go to that feel good? You know, what do you learn about food? What are they telling you about bodies? And just kind of paying attention to that. There's a big uptick in some support that we have seen with TikTok on that, where people are finding accounts or people they say feel very real that are talking about some of these topics. And so I think for parents and caregivers to almost be excited to explore these platforms, to think about how we can find ways to make them work for their kids is really helpful rather than just assuming it's a problem and then trying to cut it off because Mm -hmm. we just know that won't work. So that's a big thing I think can help. The second thing I think when we're talking about food and bodies and all of that is the middle school sort of puberty years the way their hormone functioning and their brain development is designed is they are all like basically herded onto a conveyor belt of conformity. And that's based on how our whole culture is built. Everything, now we've maybe found pockets of conformity, but it's this idea of how do I look like the people I need to fit in with? How do I act like them? What am I supposed to do to be deemed worthy and and acceptable? And so it's the difference between trusting that we belong and trying to fit in. And I think having those conversations of how did we do that? You know, I spent lots of money on Abercrombie and Hollister clothes that I hated that did not fit my body, did not make me feel good, but that is what everybody wore in my school. And I just wanted to fit in. And I already felt like I came in with, I had a mom that was imprisoned. I was living with my grandma. I was lower socioeconomic status and I had, you know, now I know it's because I'm Middle Eastern, but at the time I didn't know who my dad was. And so I had like the bushy hair when everyone had to have stick straight hair. And so I was like, I just need to do these things to fit in. And that also affected the choices I made at lunch and the things like you said of this is what people ate or what people did, or it wasn't cool maybe to have stuff. And so I think going back to how did we conform and perform and just having conversations about that and maybe even normalizing I don't know what I would do if I was also living in a world where it wasn't just the kids in my school, but every person on the planet that I'm hyper-connected to on social media platforms. I can't imagine how much pressure that is and how that probably makes it feel like you can't choose maybe other things you want to do or that you have to do these things. I know that that's going to happen. I can't stop you from doing that. That's part of what you're supposed to go through at this Mm -hmm. time. I just want to talk to you and be there with you when it feels hard. And I think, you know, again, we're making an assumption here that this isn't high acuity or like concerns that we need to intervene, but in general, just sort of the recognizing it's going to happen. You cannot stop your middle school kid from hating their body. They're going to hate their body. What you can do is talk about their body or when they're going through aspects of identity, how do you talk to your you know young person that identifies as gender non-binary and help them find ways that they can express themselves that isn't maybe weight loss to feel more comfortable in their body, you know, as their hormones are making them look more feminine, but they don't identify as female. That's where we see a lot of associations with things like that. So I need to lose weight so that I don't, you know, grow breasts or things like that. Can we talk about other things? And I think there's just so many factors there of realizing it's not our job to get it right. It's just our job to be there when they feel like they're getting it wrong. So I teach a sex education class for nine to 12 year olds to take with their parents. Mm. And that's kind of the purpose as we talk, just to like open up the conversation and how bodies are changing. And I want to know from you, like, is there some words that you think are off limits? Like should parents not use the word chubby or 
you know, if the child is overweight or underweight, should they not mention it? Like, is there any kind of like rules or is it more just like keep the dialogue open? I mean, I think that, again, the question goes back to intention. So from the time that Everly was born, we don't let anybody talk about what she looks like. We talk about everybody being beautiful. We talk about what her body is neutrally. But when they're like, oh my gosh, you have such beautiful hair and you have this, we say she has very long hair. So we talk very practical or we say some people have very short hair or some people her age don't have hair. And that looks different than how she looks having a lot of hair. Because what starts to happen is we, I mean, we're visual people. You get on a call with somebody, especially now in a digital age, you see what somebody's wearing, you notice their hair, you like their necklace. We're always noticing. And that's not a bad thing but we get hyper fixated on talking about it. And I think kids' bodies become a thing that everybody feels like, especially when they're really little, that they have a right to comment about, but why? And so I think my question for parents would be more so, what's the intention in talking about their body? You know, so if we're talking about, like, I think words, you use the word chubby or things like that. Whenever I'm working with a, a kid or a young adult or adolescent, i ask them the words they would use to describe their body. And then I want to know what that means. And then I'll talk to them about it. So the kids are already having ways of describing what their body looks like and feels like. So maybe asking them, but if, you know, inadvertently we're trying to talk about something, but we're saying like, Oh, we, we got a little weight to lose or, you know, where the doctor told us that we're overweight. There's this sort of subtle feeling like they're failing because their body looks this way. And then they're going to, you know, that just like leads to an increased risk to want to do something about it or if they're underweight. And so I think maybe just having conversations around, you know, at this age, we don't really know what the right answer is for what our body wants to be at in terms of weight and height, like you're changing all the time. And so we're, we're trying to figure it out. The best thing we can do is make sure that we're fueling our body with what it needs. So it can find that answer for itself. Are we getting the food we need? Are we getting the sleep we need? Are we doing those things? Because, I mean, I don't know if you went through this, but my weight dramatically changed in middle school and high school. My body shape dramatically changed in middle school and high school. And I had some severe trauma and mental health stuff that went along with it. And all of those things affected my weight and affected these things. And so we've got kids in COVID with social media and all these other tools that are just dramatically affecting their mental health, their weight's going to be a component of that. Can we make it something that's just, how do we give your body the resources it needs to do the job it already knows how to do rather than making it something that they have to fix up here? I don't know if that's making sense, but that's kind of my approach with it. Yeah. So like, so one of the things that we look for when, uh, kids are stressed or teens are stressed is an increase or decrease in eating, mm-hmm. right? That's one of the ways that they show that they're stressed out. Yes. So when you see, so I guess I'm thinking of myself too, is like with my son, like I was focused on his behavior and wanting mm-hmm. to change Like you need to eat like a normal kid so that I don't have to worry about you. <laughs> as a way to not notice that maybe he had some anxieties that needed addressing or whatever. And so I think what I'm hearing too, is like when we're, if we're seeing a kid's, uh, because with puberty, you could grow out before you grow up. You could grow up before you grow out. Like Mm -hmm. you don't want to look at the effect or the result and say, oh no, there's a problem we need to fix. Mm -hmm. You want to look at the appetite or the pattern over time and say, has their eating suddenly increased or decreased? And what is that a symptom of like, what's going on for them possibly that's making them want to increase or decrease their food consumption? Yeah. I mean, I think you're basically, yeah, you're talking about shifting from just getting, here's this one incident and getting focused on this incident or noticing these things and looking for trends and the data that supports concerns. And I think that's the thing is as parents and caregivers, you have a lot of insight and a lot of gut connection. So we think about like, what does your gut say? We know inherently if we can get out of our head and that, again, that shame-based feeling like we have to get it right, do something right away. If we can let, lay back a little bit notice it, trust it, kind of allow for that. We'll start to pay attention. I've never, I've had parents that have scheduled appointments with me or met with dietitians that I work with. They're like, I don't know if this is a thing. I don't know if I'm, you know, jumping ahead of the curve. And it's, it's never a problem to ask for input. I also don't think it's a problem. I mean, 
I don't know how young people are managing this world right now. Yeah. Had, <laughs> I, you know, Not like very well is, for some of the ones so I, I see. <laughs> right. And so I think the other thing is realizing would it be the worst thing in the world if they just had somebody else to talk to whose job it is to determine if some of these things are concerning, but where you don't always have to play detective, but you can work on just being parent, you know, just being mom, just being whatever, but give them someone else to talk to that, you know, obviously I'm a big proponent of therapy or I wouldn't do this professionally, but I think that's really helpful. Sometimes I work with so many teens and adolescents that when they can come in and they just have a space where they can say all the things out loud that they don't want to tell anybody else, or they're afraid to say, or if I tell my mom, you know, or I tell my dad, or I tell my caregiver, well, now they know. And now it's with me all the time in the house. Cause I know that they know it and right. I'm seeing it. And so, I don't know. I just think sometimes giving, maybe not and thinking about the food. Yeah. Just give them somebody else to talk to and just be like, I would never want to go back to middle school. I don't think any of us would want to go back to middle school and high school. I met one person. I ask people that all the time, actually. I've only met one who says she would go back and do it again. She thrived in middle school, but nobody else. And that's so cool that she had that experience. Yeah. For most (laughs) of us, it is, it is a time of constantly feeling like we're missing out. We're left out. We're in fear of not fitting in fear all the time, fear of rejection, fear of being judged, fear of, yeah, it's, it's a yucky phase. So yeah, yeah, I think actually the, the greatest thing that's resulting from the pandemic is that people are seeking help in droves, right? Whether it's life coaching or therapy, whether it's kids or parents, like it's kind of pushed the scale, you know, pushed the problems over the edge where everybody's kind of awakening Mm -hmm. to like, oh, mental health is important. And there's all these things I can do that are hopeful. And like, it's the, when the world isn't supporting the mental health that we can still do stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the greatest things is we're going to have this whole culture of like kids who are awakening. I think that's why we're seeing more on social media too. people mm-hmm. talking about mental health, they're normalizing it. And um, I wanted to give my little tip too, if you've got tweens and teens on social media is um, it's a sneaky thing. Don't tell everybody because this, this is a sneaky little trick, but you know how Siri listens to your conversations that you can actually go on your kid's phone or go near their phone when it's on and talk about body positivity, positive body image, good role models, YouTube influencers who talk about, and you can search it in YouTube or on Instagram and the algorithms will start feeding into their social media feed of now, if they don't, if they never click, then that's, it's just going to disappear over time, but at least it's like this way of them. What I love about it is like, it's hearing from other people, right? They're not hearing it from mom. It's like suddenly popping up in their feet. And then it's like their idea. And then maybe they notice like, oh, I feel so much better after listening to this YouTuber versus this one, you know, that I actually like feel a little bit better about myself. So it's a sneaky little thing that parents can do to feed the algorithms in their child's cell phone. So before I let you go, uh, I would love to hear from you. What is a super mom kryptonite, a sneaky little thing that drains mom's energies, with maybe without them even knowing? I think just maybe drawing the whole theme of the talk today together is the feeling like the responsibility is all on them, that they have to have the answers and get it right. And if they don't, they've somehow failed. Yes, I think I, we're we're feeling that every day, and yeah, and it's exhausting. Like this super mom. I mean, that's kind of where it came yeah, from. It's like I exactly. have to be all things. I have clients all the time. We're like, I just want my daughter to talk to me and open up. And it's like we even think we should be their therapists. You know that we should be their confidants. We should be all of the things. They're yeah. nutritionists, and it is. Um, it's overwhelming <laughs> for mm-hmm. all parties. I think it's a good kryptonite. All right. What's a super mom power boost? A quick thing moms could do to boost their energy and make them enjoy this phase of their life even more. 
we had talked about this a little bit before. My initial answer was going to be to play more. But one thing, because you are talking about social media, I have really loved there is a person named Celeste Barber. We can put that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. She has an Instagram account that she has been doing for years that basically takes ridiculous imagery from celebrities, models, people on social media that have posted these heavily filtered, highly photoshopped images. And she recreates them in her home just with like, this is what a normal person would look like doing these things. And it is, it brings me so much joy. And I actually found this while working in a clinic with patients with eating disorders. And I would look at it with teens all the time. We would find it hilarious because it'd be, you know, photos of Kardashians or famous models or people all across the board. And so I'm going to encourage people to take a few minutes and just check that out while they're looking for other body positive people that they could help suggest sneakily, because I think she brings a, she brings a laugh to everybody who goes to her page. Nice. And I'm going to put, um, I like Susan Hyatt. uh, She's a Instagram, you know, I guess an influencer. And she has a book called bear that I really like for um, body positivity and um, maybe here you can suggest some books too for us and the listeners that we can put in the show notes or YouTube channels or, you know, wherever um, yeah. documentaries maybe would be good ones too, to watch with, you know, I feel like since my daughter made me watch these um, documentaries about how bad it is to eat meat and fish and stuff <laughs> that now I'm like, okay, so now I get, I get to show her two documentaries because yeah. she made me watch them. So I'm kind of like looking for a good documentary. That's all about healthy vegan eating. So Ooh. if anybody has any suggestions for me, let me know. Cause I feel like that's a good way to, uh, to delegate, you know, to not be the one who has to have all the answers, especially at age where she wants, doesn't want to listen to me. all right well thank you so much for being here today i really appreciate your time kira thank you and then how can people find you if they want to learn more they want extra help how can they find you we can put a link to it in the show notes but i think the best way is just to head over to my website so adversityrising.com and you can link to joining my email list see what programs i have everything is right there for everyone perfect all right thank you so much Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash record my question and you can send me a voicemail recording or write me an email and I'll answer it on the air. Thanks again. Have a great day.